Um, if you could please open up to um, Numbers, uh, Numbers chapter 13, and then put your finger there, and then open up to Hebrews 4, and then put your foot there. No, I'm fine. you got it, say, I got it. If you didn't get there, say, hold on. (laughs) Okay. I got a lot of papers today. Right, uh, before we start, let's pray. Let's just take a, a moment, bow our heads, and just come to God in prayer. God, we thank you for this night. God, we thank you for our youth. God, we thank you that we can come to this place, God, and receive from you, God. And we're hungry and thirsty, God, for your word tonight. God, we're hungry and thirsty for your spirit, God, that changes us. God, we're hungry and thirsty for that bread of life, God, that rivers of living water, God. And we pray that you would fill us up, God. We, we pray that you would speak to us directly. God, we pray that your word would go forth today, God. It would change our hearts, God. God, we're looking to hear from you, God. And I pray that you would lead me tonight, God, in this word that you gave me, God. And I pray that every single person tonight would receive from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Um, so I wanted to uh, talk about something. Uh, and I kind of received this a while ago, but I never really understood it. Uh, and then until God kind of revealed it to me, I didn't really get it. And uh, it's in Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, it talks about the rest of God. Uh, and I remember one time uh, God spoke, spoke something to me. And, you know, you hear, God, uh, in, you hear God through people, you hear God through his word, and you hear God through the spirit of God. And most of the time it's through people, it's through his word. And sometimes you hear with your spirit. You don't hear his actual audible voice, but you hear his spirit. And you hear it, uh, you hear like that God spoke something to you. And you know, when you hear those things, it, you remember it. it it's, it's powerful. And I remember one time I was driving and I was, I was late to, to my group and I wanted to do a bunch of things. Uh, and I was like just running and, and I got on the freeway and I was supposed to get off. And, and I got off the wrong exit and I did that twice. And I'm like, wow, this is not happening I'm going to go to G12. And so um, I was like, you know, I need to, I need to, enter, I need to uh, uh, play some worship music, you know, just kind of, you know, get into the spirit for group. And, and when, when I started listening to worship music, I felt like God said, God said, you, you need to enter into my rest. And, and I'm like, and I was like, okay, what, what was that, you know? And, and for that time, yeah, it was, you know, I need to enter into God's presence. And, and I did, you know, but, but then I came home after, after group that, that night, and I'm like, what, what does that mean? I need to enter into his presence. And I, I, I opened up Hebrews chapter 4, and it talks about the, the rest of God. And I'm like, well, God, what does that mean, the rest of God? And, and so, you know, if we, we could read, uh, starting from verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 15. Um, as, he, as he just said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in, re- in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not at all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those whom sinned, who, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if they did not, if they, to those, if, I'm sorry, they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. In the, in the New Living, it says uh, that you ought to tremble with fear that you don't receive the rest of God. And, and we'll keep reading. Uh, for, we have, for we also have found the gospel preached to us. For we have also had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, so I declared on my oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And so 
uh, I started kind of to, to pray and say, God, what does that mean, the rest of God? And I mean like the rest, like not, not can I have the rest of, you know, your lunch, but the rest of like your rest. Uh, you get tired and then you rest, that kind of rest. And so I started asking, God, what does that mean, the rest of God? And we know it's talking about Israel. It's talking about how Israel came from uh, Egypt and they went into the promised land. And then later, verse, uh, from verse 4, For somewhere we, he had spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as, he, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them that rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And so, when we talk about the rest of God, we know that it's talking about the promised land that Israel entered in. They entered into a promised land, and uh, they came from Egypt. We know Egypt, it talks about the world it talks about when we come out of the world. It talks about Egypt is, is where we did not know God. But as soon as we get out of Egypt, and it's a powerful, you know, when the pastor's talking about the, the lamb, it's, it's such a powerful, you know, uh, uh, symbolism how, how, you know, when they left, they had to put the blood on the doorpost and they ate the lamb. And when you get saved, you get washed in the blood of Jesus. And when you get saved, you, you leave Egypt. And you leave on your journey, and you get on a journey to where? To the promised land. And, and this is what this is talking about. The rest means it's the promised land that God has for us. So there's a promised land, and, and it says in the New Living, um, let me see where I can, somewhere here. i got to find it somewhere. Uh, okay, I lost it. Okay, that's okay. It says, oh, okay, here it is. It's in my notes. Duh. It says that we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience. It says you, we ought to tremble with fear. So we have to be afraid that we can fail if we fail to experience what? The rest of God. We have to be, like he says, you ought to tremble with fear. And I started thinking, God, why? What, what is this? And, and what this is talking about is uh, the rest of God, it means that you come to a place of full maturity where God can use you at your at the highest at your highest potential. If we open up a couple, uh, I hope you still got your finger in uh, in numbers. But I hope uh, if you flip a couple pages to the right, James chapter one verse two, it says, "Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete." not lacking anything. He says, so that you may be mature and, and complete, not lacking in anything. So there's a place that we can get to in our life where we are mature and we're complete. We're not lacking in anything. And, and I started thinking, what is the, how do we get there? What is this place of full maturity? And this place of full maturity is, is the place where God can use us at, our, at, at, the, at what he called us to. You know, there's a... In Romans 12, in chapter 12, verse 2, it talks about the will of God. And it talks about three, it talks about three things. It talks about the good will of God, you know, good will, good will. That's a cheese bucket right there. It talks about the pleasing will, and it talks about his perfect will, okay? And, and so there's three things that, that it talks, and you know, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to get into the good. I don't want to get into the pleasing. I want to get into the perfect will. There's a perfect will that God has for every single person. It's, it's the promised land that he has. Every single person has, that, has the ability to, to come into that promised land. And, you know, Paul, he said, I finished my race. He said he finished his race. While he was still alive, he finished the race. And so there's a race, there's a, there's a, uh, a race that God called us to finish that unless we get into full maturity, 
we can't finish that race. And, you know, God can, you know, you say, well, I'm, I'm young. I, this, this, I, can, can God still use me? Yeah, he can still use you. He can use, if he can use a donkey, man, he can use every single person. But, but at the same time, though, if you want to be used at the full potential, potential that you have, if you want to do what God saw you doing before he created you, if you want that, then you got to get into, into the perfect will of God and you got to get into, into his rest, into that place of full maturity. And, you know, it's not, it says not, not everybody's going to make it there, but it's our responsibility to do that. And, and so how do we do that? If we could op- open up to Numbers chapter 13. Uh, Numbers chapter 13 is talking about Israel. And we're going to look at Israel. We're going to look at their examples and what they did right, what they did wrong. Uh, actually, they did a lot of things wrong. So <laughs> I don't know about the right part. Um, <clears throat> In, verse, in uh, verse 26, they came back to Moses. So this is where the 12 spies, where they come to the land, and they, uh, they're, they're about to enter into the promised land. They come to Kadesh. They came to, back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The, Am- the Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. So we see the first thing is that God is going to give us challenges. And this is, you know, what Dima's talking about. And Homie mentioned it. I'm like, man, we're, you know, we're, you know, we're in the same vein. And, and God is going to give us challenges. And either we're going to be victorious or we're not going to be victorious. And, you know, just a funny uh, thing happened to me yesterday, kind of like one of those challenges. You know, I was driving home yesterday after group, and I was taking some guys home. And, uh, and you know, we, we're, we're driving home, and then we, uh, we pull off because there's traffic on the freeway. We pull off to the, to the side, and, and, you know, we're driving. I see a red car, and I'm like, man, that looks like a lot like Susha's car. And I'm like, oh, I th- I, I'm not sure if it is. So, so, you know, I'm looking for directions, and I'm, like, trying to see if that's Susha or not. And then I got a little close, and then and – then, uh, and then so when, when, uh, when I looked down on my phone, everybody braked, and, uh, you know, I braked a little too late. <laughs> and so uh, next thing you know, we're on the side of the road looking at the scratches on the bumpers. So we're like, man. <laughs> and, you know, what's interesting is, you know, I never hit anybody before. But, uh, well, actually I did when there's a car parked on the freeway and it was snowing. And, but what's, what's interesting, though, is both of those days were Thursdays. And I was fasting on both of those days. So I'm like, man. You want to fast? <laughs> it's, it's tough. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a little challenge that I prepare for, for sermon. But, you know, it's okay. God, God is going to use, you know, he's going to use these kind of things in our life. You, you want to talk about something, you got you to go through it. <laughs> huh? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. We, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there's going to be challenges in our life. And Jesus says, there will be trials and tribulations. He said there will be trials and tribulations. Not there might be. He said there will be. And, and, but, but at the same time, he said in, in Revelation, exactly what, what, what Dima was saying, he said, uh, to those who are victorious, I will give this. I will give the mana in heaven. I will give them uh, authority over nations. I will give them this. He said, to those who are victorious. And, and you know, I love when pastor, he talks about, like he, I remember he preached about this before, and I just it touched me so much because he said, "To those who are victorious, that means every single person is going to have excuses. You know, every single person is going to have either either a challenge. They're going to have giants. These they came to the land and they had giants, and it was their battle. They left Egypt. It was good. Uh, you know, they they crossed the Red Sea, miracles, and then all of a sudden they have a giant. They have a challenge in their life." And you, you get saved, and everything is good, but then the challenges come. There's a challenge that's going to come up in your, in your life. And, not, and, and it doesn't say it might, it will. 
there will be trials and tribulations. There will be things that come up that challenge you, giants. You know, there might be giants of sin, giants of whatever, things that are going to come up that are going to challenge you as a Christian. They're going to challenge you. And you have the, you have the ability to say, to, to either come across that challenge and say, I'm going to take this challenge, or you can say, I don't want it. I'm going to go back to Egypt. And Israel, they wanted to go back to Egypt, but they had Moses. Moses kept them on that, on that path. And this, these challenges, it's, it's going to make us who we are. You know, all of us, we have a champion inside of us, and we have a quitter inside of us, right? We all have that person that gives up, that wants to give up, that wants to quit. We all have that person. But at the same time, we have that, that person that says, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight this, this battle right here. I got a giant in my life. It could be anything. I don't know what you have. It could be whatever, but it's, there's a giant in your way. And either you're going to face him and defeat him, or he's going to defeat you. And, and you know, it's, it's, we have that champion. And that champion is when we trust Jesus. You know, it says that those who, who believe, those who have faith, only they're going to enter the land. Only they will enter the land. And those who believe, and you have to believe in Jesus. If you want, if you want to have victory, you have, to, you have to put your trust in Jesus. When we're, when we're that champion, it's not because we're strong. It's not because, oh, you know, I'm, I'm so strong. that I, it's, it's not that. It's when we put our trust in Jesus, that's when we have victory. But there's that quitter inside of us at the same time when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start listening to the devil. And we all, we all have moments, down moments like that. But, you know, the devil... And you, we, have to, we have to realize we can't be ignorant of what the devil is doing. We can't be ignorant because, you know, I don't want to give the devil too much credit. And a lot of things that happen in our life is not the devil's fault at all. It's our fault. And, but a lot of things, you know, the devil has a plan. Just like God has a plan to, to take us to the promised land, the devil has a plan to kill us. The devil has a plan. It says he came to kill, steal, or to steal, kill, and destroy and, and he came to, to destroy our future. He came to destroy us as a person. That's what he wants to do. And you have to realize, you know, there's going to be times when he's lying to you. You're going to hear a voice. It's going to say, you know what, does God really exist? You're going to hear a voice, you know, why, why are you going to church so much? You're going to hear a voice, do you really need to do that? Do you really need to pray? Do you really need to read the Bible? And you're going to hear this voice. And you've got to realize that's the devil. That's the devil speaking. You know, the devil is very good at what he does. And, and um, you know, there's a really interesting story I read uh, about this, this, uh, these guys, these Japanese uh, soldiers after World War II. Or during World War II, they were on the Philippines. And, and there, was a, um, there was a commander who told them because they, uh, they heard that, that they were losing the war. And the commander said, go into hiding. And so they went into hiding. And uh, these, these couple guys, they went into hiding. And they would drop leaflets from planes that says the war is over, you know, the allies won the war, it's over, and, but you know what, they didn't believe, because their superior officer said, don't believe them, uh, we're still fighting, you're still in survival mode, and so they kept in survival mode for, for, you know, for a while, and they would, they were like guerrilla warriors, they would go, uh, you know, shoot people here, there, they would go shoot cops and stuff, and they were, they thought the war was still going on, the war was over, and you know when they found the first guy, you're going to think, what, 1946, 1971. Found him 27 years later. And he was still, he was, they, some fishermen caught him, and he would have been there for a while. They, they found him, and they caught him. 1971, that's, that's 27 years from 1944. He was hiding. You know who the second guy they caught was the lieutenant who told him to stay in hiding? 1974. And then the last guy they caught, was in uh, that year, later in that year, the same year, 19, in December 1974. So for 30 years, and they, the last guy, they arrested him. I love, <laughs> I love that. I mean, you, you're in the, you know, wilderness for 30 years, you're by yourself or you're with some people, but, you know, you're suffering already, though. They go arrest him afterwards, you know, when he comes out. And, and that's what the devil does. The devil is sneaky, and he, he will, he will, do what he, he's going to make a plan. He's going he's gonna to make a plan for you to get you to go back to Egypt. He's going to make a plan to get you to fall. And that's what he does. And, you know, it says in Proverbs 24, verse 10, it says, If you fail under pressure, your strength is too, your strength is too small. If you fail under pressure. When that moment comes of, of pressure, when, when the devil starts attacking you, when you, when you lose, when you 
keep, take your eyes off Jesus. And it says when you're, if, under, if you fail under that, your strength is too small. That's how you know how strong you are because you failed under that. And, and, we, and we have to see, okay, if you think, you know, some, sometimes we think we're strong, but we have a moment where we fail. And really, we're not that strong because we just failed. If we were stronger, we would not have failed. And we have to get to the place where we don't fail under this pressure that, that, that we have, these giants that we have in our life. And, you know, the second thing that we see is rebellion. In, in, verse, uh, in the next, next chapter, verse 1, it says, That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. As the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a new leader. We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So, you know, they don't want to go into the promised land. They said, We would rather die in the desert. So nothing was, you know, good enough for these people. And here, this, we see rebellion. And God said, they're not going to enter my rest because of rebellion. He, God cannot stand rebellion. That's one of the things he hates when people complain, when people rebel. You know, he says, there's a protocol to coming to God. It says, he says, enter my gates with praise and my courts with thanksgiving. Or it's the other way around. But anyways, you know, God cannot stand when we complain, rebel. And rebellion is something that God, he hates. It says that rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, it's as sinful as witchcraft. You know, rebellion, it goes with pride. And when you have, where you have pride, you have rebellion. When you have rebellion, there's pride. And, you know, the devil, when he got proud and he got rebellious in heaven, you know, God kicked him out of heaven so fast, he made lightning. And God, that's how God looks at rebellion. He looks at pride. He, he can't stand it. He cannot stand rebellion. And we, uh, you know, when we start rebelling against pride, people against his authority notice they did not rebel against God himself they didn't say that they said we're rebelling against Moses they did not like Moses they didn't like what he was doing they were rebelling but how did God look at it God said they were rebelling against me right he didn't he didn't say nothing about Moses he said they're rebelling against me so when we choose to rebel against authority against somebody that that is an authority in our life when we rebel against somebody that's that's you know higher up we start rebelling, we're really rebelling against God, and God cannot stand that. You know, we all uh, should have that person in our life that, that is our authority. We need to have that person that, 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 we, uh, that we submit to, somebody that, that, you know, however you want to call them, your life coach, mentor, uh, I don't know. But we need to have that spiritual authority in our lives, every single person, you know, because, you know, people say, well, I don't want to be controlled by people. Well, you know what, this people, this person that God has placed in your life, he's responsible for you. And, and he is going to, he sees more than you. And, and you get mad and, oh, I don't, I don't agree with this and I don't agree with that. I don't agree where, where you know, I don't agree with the church and I don't agree that, that you must saying this. I don't agree with that. And God cannot stand rebellion and God will, he, he, that's one of the things that he will, he will not let you enter into his land if you have rebellion. You got you to gotta get it out of you. You got to uproot it. It's got to come out. Because, you know, the, there's people, we have to have that person in our life that, we, that can tell us no, that can, that can tell us, you know what, you're not doing the right thing right now, and you listen to him, and you do, you do what that person says. And if you don't have that person, you, you need to get one, you know, because you, you can say, well, I don't want to be controlled, I want to be led by God. Well, many times you don't know what God is saying, but that person, God will use that person, if you submit to him, God will use that person to speak uh, as a voice from God. And, you know, one of the things that God does, not is, God does not like is division. And that's what rebellion does. Rebellion divides. God hates division. And even Jesus, you know, when, when, when they told Jesus that, uh, you know, you're casting out demons because you're, you're the prince of demons. And, Jesus, you know, what Jesus, Jesus said, uh, if, if, if I would be casting out demons, by, if, if devil gave me that power, then his house would be divided and it would fall. And it's a principle. Even the devil knows that principle. It's, it's something that he knows that, that if you have division, it's going to fall. And this thing with rebellion, how much more do we Christians have to realize it, understand it, and, and live by this? And you know what? It's, it's not easy sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's not easy taking no, but that's how we got to learn. That's how the kingdom of God is placed. That's how it works. God 
puts authority. And so we have to submit to that authority. Um, the next thing that we see uh, is, is the uh, Numbers 14, 39. In verse 39, it says, When Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they went up toward the, hill, the high hill country. We have sinned, they said. We will go up to the place the Lord promised. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and Canaanites will face you there because you have turned away from the Lord. He will not be with you and you will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the high hill country, though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them all the way, beat them down all the way to Hermah. And so we see the, this third thing that is, that, uh, is serving God on our own terms. Serving God the way that we want to. And these, these people, uh, you know, they realized Moses just told them, listen, guys, we're going to have to go into the wilderness for 40 years. You guys are all going to die there. And, and you know, that's, that's what they had to do. That's what God said. But what did they say? They said, no, we don't want to do that. We want to go and attack the land. Yeah, we messed up, but we want to go and attack the land. We want to go and take what's ours. And they didn't do it for God. They did it for themselves, right? And they, they thought that they were serving God, but really God was not with them. It says neither Moses nor the ark. So, you know, either just to confirm what I said earlier, if your authority, if the authority of God is not with you, then it's not from God. You know, because both God and the ark did not go with them. And, and so we see that, you know, there's a lot of people that serve God. We heard Steve Hill a couple weeks ago uh, preaching about, or the show that they had on, about, you know, the false teaching. And one of the things is the deity of man. Uh, that's where man worships himself, where he, where, where, we place, where we put ourselves as the center of attention. And, you know, like the book that we read, Radical, where, uh, you know, he said that people... People choose worship music. They go to a church for the music that they like. They go, to, they go to here and there because of what they like. And that there's a huge danger. There's something that God cannot stand. He cannot stand. You know, I don't know, this, I don't know if you guys notice this, but it's this thing. It's like, I don't know, this new phenomenon, how people, you know, people on Facebook, right, they leave, like, posts about, like, scriptures and stuff, but they're not saved. Or they're not, they're, they're, they're backslidden, you know? I don't know if you guys noticed that. It's like this new phenomenon that people, that now it's cool to be a little Christian. You know, it's cool to, to, to know a little bit about the Bible. And so people put, you know, put stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that if you're sincere, if that, you know, if you put that verse up because, you, you know, it ministered to you, and you're like, that was a good verse, and you put it up for people. But, but it's another thing when people, you know, are, are living a double life, they're, they're doing what they want, and then they still go ahead and put, posts of of scriptures like you know they don't get to you don't get to use the bible you know you're not if you're not saved you don't get to use the bible you know it's god cannot cannot stand when we worship him by our own standards when we say you know that's one of the dangers that we have to be careful when we serve god is are we serving god or are we serving ourselves we have to ask that question you know it's like when israel when they uh when they were they just got beat down by the philistines and, and, you know, they're sitting there, and what happens, the ark comes. We read this uh, last week, or I believe it was last week, or this week. And the ark comes into the camp. The ark comes there, and they're like, they're, they got all excited, and they, they started, you know, they uh, celebrated so hard, the ground shook. And, you know, and who was carrying the ark? It was Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons, who were just horrible, should not have been, should not have been near that ark. And, and, you know, they, they're like, oh, God is with us. You know, now we can do, go do something. What happened? Well, 30,000 of them died. It was worse than before. It, be, it got worse. When they brought the ark of God in, it got worse. Well, how does that happen? Because God cannot stand that kind of he, he says, you know what? It, God would rather you ignore him than to worship him by, by, with false motives and your own, you know, your own double life. He can't, he can't stand that. And, and even later, when David... When he took the ark, he wanted to bring the ark back. It was at uh, Abinadab's house, and he wanted to take it back, and we're going to read this later. Uh, and, and what happened was he, they put it on a cart. See, they were supposed to put it on, on uh, they are supposed to put it on shoulders of priests. They were supposed to carry it by the poles. That's how God said in his word. But what they did was they put it on a cart. You're not supposed to do that. 
You're supposed to have priests around it. And who was around the car? It was Uzzah and this other guy. I forgot his name. But he was not a priest. He was not allowed to go near there. And so he put his hand when the car, when the oxen stumbled, the car stumbled, the, the thing it could have fell. We don't know. But he put his hand and God killed him. And, and what is that? He tried, to, he tried to help God. He was helping. No, but he was not helping him. It was not the right way. It was not how God wanted him. It was not how God wanted worship for himself. And, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a place where it says um, that God cannot stand our religious festivals. Our, he said, I cannot stand your religious festivals. Your, your noise, it, it, it hurts my ears. God, and, you know, when Israel, they would do things for religion and they would worship him on their own. And God said, I can't stand that, you know. And we, cannot, we can't allow these, these, this kind of thing to... Uh, to you know to to live like that like a double life and you know the next thing that i want to talk about doesn't say here but you know when israel when they left egypt they went into the desert for 40 years and they you know the next thing that 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 we see was going to keep us from from the promised land is a lack of discipline and and they went through egypt and they got discipline because they every day God said, this is what you're going to eat. This is what you're not going to eat. This is, what you're, this is when you're going to move. When my cloud moves, you move. When, when uh, you know, you got to go through all these purification ceremonies, all these things. And there's a bunch of them. But I believe that they learned discipline as a nation. They learned what discipline was. And we have to learn what discipline is in our lives. We have to learn, you know, God... Uh, God says that he gave us a spirit of self-discipline. He says, I did not give you a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. God gave it to us, but, but we don't get it automatically. We have to take it. We have to take what God has. Because this is, you know, discipline, you don't wake up discipline. You don't wake up like, oh, I, I got discipline. All of a sudden, I got discipline out of nowhere. No, that never happens. You don't, you don't wake up and all of a sudden you got love. You, you just love everybody. No. You have, to, you have to allow the Spirit of God to, to let you love people. And, and this is one of those things. We have to have discipline in our life. Uh, it, says, it says that, uh, and this is in, um, I believe, this is 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. I'm just going to read it in the New Living Translation. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will not last. And we do it to get a prize that will last forever. <laughs> Kiss church, y'all. <laughs> so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. He says, I discipline my body. I discipline my body like what? Like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete. You know, me, uh, me, Ruvim, and David Butulov, we're going to go, we're going to do, you know, God willing, we're going to do this, uh, this training, uh, or this, it's a race, it's a very difficult race, an obstacle course, and we're going to have to start training for it, you know, and it's very, it's, it's not simple, it's a, you know, 11 mile run, and, and you know, we got to train for it, and you know, athletes, they train like crazy, athletes are, they train their bodies to get them to do what they want to do to get them to do what they, what they need their bodies to do. And Paul said, I discipline my body like what? Like an athlete. Athletes got to wake up in the morning early. They got to go running. They, gotta, they can't eat everything that everybody else is eating. You know, today, athletes are, I don't know, it's like they're getting bigger, stronger, faster. If you look at football, it's crazy. You know, you got people that are so big and so strong, but yet they run so fast. It's like, how do you even, you know, somebody that's 400 uh, no, sorry, 400, 240 pounds, and they run a, a, five, a 4 4 40. Or, or this guy, he's 350 pounds, and he runs a 5, a sub 5, he runs a 4 9 8 40. I know most of you have no idea what that means, but pretty much he, that's fast. That's somebody, somebody that fast should not, or somebody that big should not be moving that fast. If you really think about it, they're so big. But they're so fast. And, and athletes today are so crazy in their discipline. And, and they're, they're getting science to, I don't know, they use science now. And, you know, Olympic athletes. Now, those are world-class, top-of-the-world athletes. 
and how they discipline. You know, it's like 30, 40 hours a week they work on just disciplining their body. You know, you got swimmers who eat like 9,000 calories a day. That's, you know, a normal, a normal diet is 2,000. And, and that, that's a good diet. And they eat 9,000. That's like, are you kidding me? How does that, how does that, how can you eat so much in one day? And you got, you know, you know, other people, they barely eat, they barely eat nothing. And, you know, you got these gymnasts. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think gymnasts are in the summer. Are they in the Summer Olympics? I think it's summer. And, and they go once, once every four years, right? And, and what happens is these gymnasts, they have to train every single day for like from two or three years old. They have to train for their whole life. And they can only make it into one Olympic game or one Olympic event because the next time it comes around, it's going to be too late. They're going to be, their body's not going to be able to do what they need it to do. And so they have to discipline their whole life for just these events where, you know, they go on the high beam and do, you know, somersault. And they discipline their whole life, and they're not going to be able to do that in the Olympics anymore. And, but that's such discipline, you know. And we need, we need to have discipline in our life. I'm just going to read some verses about discipline. Uh, it says in, in uh, these are just from Proverbs, a couple just different verses. It says, the evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. And then it says, in the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? And then another verse, to learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. Another verse, people who accept discipline are on the pathway to life, but those who ignore correction will go astray. It says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. The, the word discipline, um, in the, in the uh, Webster's Dictionary, it says, training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental ability of your, or moral character. So it corrects, molds, and perfects you. The word discipline and disciple have the same root word. It means to learn. And so discipline is something that we cannot ignore, that we cannot, that we cannot just, just put it aside. We need discipline because God is a God of order. If you look how God set the tabernacle and he gave him measurements to the inches, not to the feet, to the inches. And he had everything just, it's like, it's crazy when you, when you read Exodus and Leviticus, all these things, and you, you read how God made them, what he made them do. And it was, and you know, God loves order. Yeah, we live in the New Testament, but he's still the same God. He still loves the same order. You know, that we need to have our lives in order. Have you ever tried praying in a, in a messy room? I bet you haven't because you, you cannot pray for that long. I mean, you got distractions, you got things. You know, and a lot of times, God does not take us to the next level in Him when, you know, there's a moment where, where you grow and you go from level to level. And God will not take you unless you put your life in order. You have to have your life in order and then God can, can do something. And, you know, what are the things that we need to have discipline in? Well, the first one is reading the Word of God. We need to read the Word of God every single day. It's got to become uh, every day, an everyday habit where we read it without missing it. You know, before, I used, to, I used to not read the Bible. Well, I would read it, but I wouldn't read it every day. It was a while ago, you know, and, and I would read three days in a row, but then I wouldn't read it for like two weeks. And, and that, that's not what we need. We need to be able to read the Bible every single day. And, and, you know, now I'm at a point where I don't miss. You know, I can't miss reading the Word. It's, it's, it's become, a, I become disciplined in the Word. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, just to like, you know, to show off or anything. But I'm saying that because... I want to I say that it is possible. I know because I've been at the place, you know, where I didn't read it, and I know what it takes to get there, and everybody can do it. And that's why we say it's so important to read the Bible in the morning. You know, a lot of people say, well, I don't have time in the morning. I don't have this. But when you have, when you, if you want to have discipline in reading the Word, you want to read it every single day, you got to learn how to read it in the morning. Because, because God, God sees that you value His Word. You know, it says in... Um, in Malachi, it says that you have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? 
Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you, but when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all, asks the Lord of heaven's armies. And so we, you know, a lot of times we, we focus on school, we focus on work, and we get up in the morning and we have that, you know, that's our priority, we got to get that done, but we don't give God what he deserves is the best of our time. We don't give that to God. We, we focus on everything else, but we forget about the word. And we think, oh, I'll just read the word when, before I go to sleep. Well, the problem is you're sleepy when, when you know, you're about to go to sleep. You're tired. You had a long day, and you're reading it, and you fall, you're falling asleep. You know, I remember, I remember that. You know, you're reading, you're falling asleep, or, or you're not reading at all. You say, I'll just read it tomorrow, and, you know, you never read it tomorrow. Or, you know, just things come up, and, and that's why you have to read the Bible in the morning. You give, you give God your your uh your heart you you show him that look today i value your word above everything else above you know if we say god is first and we don't and we don't start with him then then how does that make sense we got to start with god we got to first thing we think about god you know and i know there's we have busy days we have busy schedules some people you know work and, and everything school it, but but we we have to learn how to get this thing in 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 our system how to become disciplined in reading every day another one is prayer Prayer, you know, this I'm preaching to myself because prayer is so important. Um, I, I wanted to read this uh, this um, this book from. It's called uh, Leonard Ravenhill, and it's it's uh, it's called Why Revival Tarries, and he talks about prayer. And this man knows prayer. It says, "No man is greater than his prayer life." The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. The pulpit can be a shop window to display one's talents. The prayer closet allows no showing off. Poverty stricken as the church is today in many things, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Falling here, or failing here, we fail everywhere. And, and he talks about prayer. It's so important, you know, and, you know, a lot of times we're, we get busy, you know, and, and we have to, you know, yeah, you know, you could, read, you could pray every day, but, but you, you have to get to a point where you take that time. You say, God, this is your time. I don't care. This time I will spend with you. I, it doesn't matter. You have to get disciplined in that. When you, when, you know, not just, you know, what we like to do is we tend to pray on the go. We pray on the go. We, we have a time, we pray. If we don't, we don't pray. And, you know, we need to get to that place where, where we, you know, what are we so busy doing? A lot of times we just, I'm so busy. But what are we so busy getting done? You know, without prayer, we're not going to be able to go forward. You know, without prayer, uh, you know, tr- you can't do a thing for God without prayer. It starts with prayer and ends with prayer. Prayer is so simple. It's, it's what a little kid can, you know, they, a little kid can pray. But at the same time, it's one of the things that has the biggest power in the church today is prayer. And if only we knew the power of prayer. And we have to have discipline in that. We have to have discipline in time management. Yeah. Oh, this is the thing that, you know, young people struggle with a lot time management how many times you come home you know and you got everything done and you got to go to sleep and and you know you just sit around and next thing you know it's one o'clock you know and you're like oh man I just wasted three hours you know great and and you know we're we're, we need to learn time management we need to learn how to take our time how to manage you know we have to look at our time as being money because have you guys ever heard the phrase time is money and and that that's that's so true because if you value your time you can get more done. Some people value their time as $10 an hour, and they don't get much done, you know, and, and they, don't, they don't do much. And they might work for, you know, $10 an hour. But, and, you know, everybody has 24 hours in a day. But some people get a lot, of, get a lot done. Some people get nothing done, you know. And it's how you manage your time. You have to plan ahead. You have to plan how, what you're going to do. You know, when I, and by doing that, or to do that, you have to, uh, you have, to, um, you have to set your priorities. That means you have to say what's important and what is not important. If you want to manage your time, you have to say, okay, this, this is important in my life. It's important to what? To read the Bible, to pray. That's important. After that, whatever, you know, you got this, 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 and this. And it's important to, to set your priorities. You say, this is, 
this is my most important thing. I'm, I got to make sure I got to get this done. After that, I can do this. And, and through that, when you set your priorities, you learn how to manage your time wisely. And when you can manage your time, you get a lot done. And it's, it's amazing, you know, what, what, what happens when you start disciplining yourself in time, time management, you know. It's the decisions that we make today is going to be who we're going to become tomorrow. You know, I heard that when you, the decisions you made five years ago are the person you are today. And the, per, and the decisions you're making today is going to be the person you're going to be five years from now. And it's, it's, you know, little things, little things that we have, you know, Choosing whether to do homework or, you know, go on the computer, go, you know, do, do nothing and then, and then have to make up for it. Because a lot of times we make up for our wrong decisions by, you know, the next day and we make for it for not, by not going to sleep on time because we didn't wake up on time and we didn't get anything done in the morning and it's just a snowball effect. And, and you know, you got to learn, you know, one of the things you got to learn how to go to sleep on time because a lot of times we don't go to sleep on time and, and then we don't get anything done in the morning. Because we wake up late and we sleep in and then it's just, it snowballs from there. And a lot of times we put things off. We say, okay, I got to get this done. I got to, I got to, you know, I got to do, you know, I got to study for this test. I got to get this done. And, 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 you know, then later you, you realize, okay, I forgot to do it. And you do it last minute. And, and you know what, that's not, that's not the best, that's not the best, that's not discipline. And we have to have discipline in our time management. Um, the last thing that we have to have discipline in is health. And this, this, is, this is one of those things that, you know, that we don't really, we don't really like to, we don't really talk about, but, but, uh, but um, you know, I guess I'm going to talk about it. Uh, health, you know, what you eat, what you eat, uh, just a, a story about a guy named Jack Coe. Uh, he's, a God, he's one of God's generals, and uh, God used him powerfully. He was a powerful man of God, but he died at 38 years old. And what happened was he, he did not take care of his body at all. I mean, he would, he would, he neglected it. He was passionate about God, and he loved God, and you know, of course, that's more important. He loved God so much, but at the same time, though, he died at a young age because he neglected his health. He, they would have meetings, you know, four, four to six hour meetings, three times a day, and he would get no sleep. He would go to sleep at three o'clock in the morning after eating a huge meal, and inside, they said that he was, he had the body of a 90-year-old inside because he he neglected completely. He didn't take care of himself. And so, you know what? He could have done so much more if he would have took care of him, if he would have taken care of his temple. And we need to take care of our temple. You know, what we eat. I know, you know, a lot of things. We love, we love eating this and that. You know, I heard a pastor talk about uh, Krispy Kreme donuts. And he's like, man, in heaven, the mana is going to be Krispy Kreme donuts. And I'm like, oh, man. One time, one time, uh, me, me and Andre after, uh, or before we went to scuba diving, I remember he took me to Krispy Kreme donuts, and I never had Krispy Kreme donuts before, and I never had them when they were fresh. And you, you know what I'm talking about. You guys ever had a fresh Krispy Kreme donut? Oh, they're so good. I mean, it just, it, melt, it, like, it melts in your mouth, and you're, and you're like, how, how is something that's so fake, how does it taste so good? You know, and it, I mean, it tastes so good. It just, it literally melts in your mouth. But, you know, it's going to clog your arteries, you know. <laughs> and that, that stuff is it's bad, it's bad for us, you know. We love it because, you know, that's how, that's how we eat. We love fast food. But, you know, when we neglect ourselves, you know, there's going to be a time when we're going to be 50 years old. You know, if God doesn't come back, and most likely he'll come back, but, but there's a chance that you could be 50 years old, you know, and you're probably like, I never thought of being 50, you know, I'd probably probably start dying, you know, when I'm 50, but, but, you know, there might be a moment where you live to 50, and what you're gonna, what you're gonna put into your body is what you're gonna get out of it at 50 years old, and, you know, exercise, we got, we gotta, we gotta exercise, you know, and it's not one of those, you know, super important things, but we need exercise, you know, maybe, you know, you're, you're, you're not, okay, I'm not in good health, you know, try exercising, you know, minimum hour and a half a week, I would say it's very good to be disciplined in, in exercise, and, and what you eat, and what you eat is very important, you know, because people, you know, people don't feel good when they don't eat the right things, when they're not exercising. You just don't feel good. And, and when you don't feel good, you don't feel like, like doing the right things. And, and it, it's, I mean, it's not that, it's not the most important thing, but it, it, is an, it is an issue that we have to deal with, you know. And just kind of a tip 
if, you know, if you're exercising, don't only go running. Also, do some, uh, you know, lift some weights because after about a week, you plateau with uh, cardio. You, you, it stops working for you. But, so you got to lift some weights too. And you got to, you know, start, start training yourself. And you'll see, you'll see that it's really, it's helping you. It will help you in, in a lot of different areas in your life. You know, and, and what, like I said, it's, there's a verse in Hebrews 12. It says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So there's going to be, it's going to be painful. Discipline will be painful. It's going to hurt. It's going to, it's going to, you know, it, you might, it might be uncomfortable. But when you discipline yourself, there will be a, pe- there will be a harvest of what? Of righteousness. It says there's going to be a peaceful harvest for, of right living for those who are trained. When we train ourselves, there will be a harvest of good things. You're going you're gonna to see good results in your life once you apply discipline to yourself. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a little time. You know, like fasting, the first day I fasted, I could, not, I could not go without eating. It's so difficult. But the more you do it, the more you discipline yourself, the easier it's going to become. And, and this, is a, you know, this is one of the things that we have to, we have to you know, strive because God did not give it to us just like that. We have to, we have to take it. We have to learn how to take it. And um, the last thing that we see with Israel, and this is the last point, is holiness. If we look at uh, chapter 20, uh, Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. <clears throat> now this is where they came back to Kadesh. And Kadesh... The word Kadesh, it means holy. And they came back to Kadesh. They came back to this place where they started. So holiness is what you're going to start with. Holiness is what you're going to end with. Holiness is going to be in the beginning of your journey. When they came, they could not enter at Kadesh. They failed at Kadesh. Now they came here again. And they failed. Uh, and Moses, here we have, we have this thing that happened to Moses. And uh, let's see where it says, verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses, and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I will give them. And God wants to take us to the next level. There's going to be times when you need to go to the next level in God. And I'm not saying next level like you buy a, a nice house, you know. I'm saying next level like, like you get closer to God. Next level with God. Uh, a new, new revelations. A new, you know... Coming closer to him. That's the, next, that's, the next, that's the next level that I'm talking about. And Kadesh was a crossroads. They would get there and they would not be able to pass. Why? Because of holiness. Holiness is going to be the thing that we start and end with. Um, in, you know, in, in basketball, the, we had just had the NCAA tournament. And um, I watched like one of the games. But, and the, the guy, he said, he said that, you know, to have a good... Defense, you got to have a good offense. And many Christians, they think that holiness is defense. They think that holiness is defensive. I'm, okay, I, I don't want to do this, and I'm, I'm going to try not to do that, and I'm going to really, you know, just, just try, to, try to guard myself from all these things, and that's right, we should do that. But, but, you know, like they say in basketball, the best defense is a good offense. And they say that in all the sports. I'm just using basketball. You know, if, if you want to score, if, if you want to win, and you just play defense, you're going to have a very tough time. Because, why? Because you're not in the flow of the game. If you have a good offense, you get into the flow, you get into the rhythm. And when you play, you'll, you, you'll know if, if you play these kind of things and, and your offense, you can score, then your defense is going to be better. And that's the same way. I heard this before and I didn't understand it before. And now, you know, now I, co- I come to a place where I, I finally understand this principle. That holiness is offensive. It's not, it's not I don't, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to. You say, this is what I'm going to do, so I'm going to be holy. Um, just to give an example, you know, you say, I'm, gonna, I'm walking in holiness because I'm going to prayer, because I'm reading the Bible, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to group, because I'm doing this. That's how you walk in holiness, is you're offensive. You do something. You get into the flow with the Holy Spirit. You start scoring. You start doing something. And you know what? Sin becomes a different issue when you start to, uh, when you start to, to go for holiness. You don't, you don't just try to stay back from it. Like it says in the Bible, first time it talks about sin. God said, God said to Cain, sin is crouching at your door, but you must subdue it and be its master. And sin, wants to, sin is always going to attack us. Always. It's going to attack us. It's going to tempt us. Sin is always going to, is going to try to defeat us. But what we must do is we, 
must get to the place where we are its master. It's like a dog. You know, if you want to have a dog, I, I was, I was uh, reading about German shepherds. And if you want to have a German shepherd, you have to be its master. You have to show that you're the master of that dog or else it's going to try to be your master. And, you know, that's, that's what they do. That's how German shepherds are. And sin is the same way. If you don't aggressively go against it, if you don't aggressively uh, meet it and, and oppose it and fight it, if you don't, you will be playing defense and sooner or later it's going to get you and you're going you're gonna to fall because you're playing, because you're not, you're not doing something. That's when we take our faith, take our faith and we, and we use it. And we say, okay, this is my faith. I'm, I'm going to walk in holiness because I'm doing this, because I'm, I'm, I'm accountable to a leader, because I'm doing this. That's how I know I'm walking in holiness. And when you get sin, you get temptations, you get the devil, when the devil starts speaking to us, what, what we have to do is aggressively go against it because as soon as we get sin in our life, what happens is, is the devil uses that and he, what he wants to do with that sin is he wants to kill us with that sin. If it gets inside of us, sooner or later it will kill us because that's what sin does. It's evil. It's, it's an evil root. And what we have to do is as soon as we get that, that, you know, that hint of it, as soon as we get that thought, whatever, you know, turn on worship music. Go against it. You got you to do all you can to oppose it. And when you start opposing it, it the devil will not have that power in your life. Sin is going to become, become a completely different issue in your life because, you know, you don't fight, you don't, you don't fight sin with legalism. You fight it with the Spirit of God. We, we read Galatians. And I challenged my G12. I told them, you know, to read Galatians in one week. And we read Galatians last week, and it says, it says that you fight the flesh with the spirit. You don't fight flesh with flesh. You fight flesh with spirit. You don't fight your, 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 you know, your lustful pleasures. You don't fight it with, with, your, own, with your own desire or your own control. You fight it with the spirit of God. Once you get the spirit of God on you, it's a completely different issue. It's not, you, you, you don't have to, it's not, it's not as difficult anymore. You realize, you know what, I don't even want to do those things because you get filled with the spirit of God. And that's why it's so important we come to church to get filled with the spirit, to, to, to connect with God during prayers, during worship, during the, during the word. You connect with God and that's with the spirit of God is refreshing you. And, and when you get that, sin is no longer that big of an issue. And uh, judges... In Judges chapter 16, um, if you want to turn there, you can turn there. Judges chapter 16, and let's talk about Moses, uh, not Moses, sorry. Uh, let's talk about Samson. Thank you, Roman. Uh, Samson was, uh, he played around with sin. He was, uh, he allowed a compromise, a lot of compromise into his life. You know, when he was not supposed to drink wine, he would be by the vineyards. And it's like, what are you doing there? You're not supposed to be drinking wine. And he had all these weird issues in his life all these weird things and he played with sin and starting from verse 18 it says in verse 18 when delilah saw that he had told her everything she sent word to the rulers of the, of the philistines come back once more he has told me everything so the rulers of the philistines returned with the silver in their hands having put him to sleep on her lap she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. So he, he was playing around with sin this whole time. He allowed, you know, Delilah would, would tie him up. She asked three times. She's like, how, how, can I, how, how can we take away your strength? And I don't know what this man is thinking. He's blind or, or just or dumb or I don't know. But he completely... Just, okay, he wakes up and he's got people attacking him every single time at her house. It's like, are you, are you, are you, do you not get something? You know, and he would have that every single time. And it's like, you know, you got to realize this girl wants to kill you. She, she, yeah, Andre knows, amen. <laughs> and she, 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 Yeah, yeah, she went, she, went, she went as far as like, how can you not tell me the truth? You know, I, wa I want to kill you here. How can you not tell me? How can you be so insensitive to me? And, and you know, he, he, com he completely was blind to sin. She, it says that she put him to sleep. She put him to sleep on her lap. Or in the New Living, it says she, sub she lulled him to sleep. And that's what sin does, 
right there. That's the nature of sin is it will lull us to sleep. And he's playing with it. And he's thinking, you know what, I can keep getting away with this. I can keep getting away with sin. I can, I can keep going. Why? Because, you know, I'm strong. I haven't fallen yet. Nothing, nothing can happen to me. I, I, can, I can, you know, anybody that comes in, I'll kill them right away. But what he didn't, what happened was, it says, it says in verse 18, um, it says that, oh, I'm sorry, we're, I'm in the wrong chapter. Oh, I'm sorry, in verse, uh, verse 19. Uh, Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called the man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong place. Oh, okay, verse 20. I'll go out as before and shake myself free. He said to himself, I'll go out as before and I'll shake myself free. He said, I'll do it as before. I did it before. I can do it again, right? I, I did it before. She, she tried to do this, you know, three times before. I won every single time. I'll do it as before. I'll go out and I'll shake myself free. I'll shake myself free from the, from the chains. And what happened? God left him. And we have to realize there is a moment in and everybody, everybody is, there's nobody that, that this can't happen to. If you play around with sin, there will come a moment when God leaves. There will come that moment because sin is going to kill, is, it wants to kill us. And God will be with us to a certain point, but, but then he will leave. And when God leaves, that's it. It's, it's, it's over.